Hello, and welcome to Wedge Issues, a politics podcast from the Cap Times. I'm Jack Kelly. Today's episode is a special edition of the podcast. It was recorded live last week in front of an audience of a few dozen Cap Times members at Leopold's Books Bar Cafe in Madison. Former Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes joined me for the event, and we discussed his 2022 U.S. Senate campaign, how he's been keeping busy since the campaign ended, and what challenges he wants to tackle next. If you're interested in attending future live tapings of the podcast and supporting Wedge Issues, you could do so by becoming a Cap Times member. For more information on that, visit membership.captimes.com. Now, here's my conversation with Mandela Barnes. I want to start and talk a little bit about the, the U.S. Senate campaign. What did you learn about Wisconsin and Wisconsinites during the 2022 cycle? Obviously, you spent a lot of time on the road and you covered pretty much every inch of the state. Yeah, basically every inch of the state. And, and my first year as lieutenant governor, I got to travel to all 72 counties. And I can tell you, uh, the campaign was probably one of the most fulfilling experiences of my entire life. Uh, getting to go around, just talk to people from so many different walks of life uh, who are dealing with so many different challenges, but also people who are dealing with some amazing successes, people who are just powering through in spite of it all and seeing the commonality uh, that so many of us share, whether it was my experience in Milwaukee being not much different from the next person in Ashland or the person you know down in Platteville, right? These things that we all want out of life that Wisconsin actually does have to offer for you know most people, but still at the same time, uh, there are areas where we are still struggling, still lacking. People are dealing with significant issues, be it you know trying to get access to healthcare. We're still one of the states, uh, one of a handful of states now who has yet to expand you know Medicaid or expand our Badger Care program under the Affordable Care Act. I was actually in Boise, Idaho. I'm just going to take a sidetrack uh, for for a little bit a couple months ago. And one of the first things they talked about is how they got their Medicaid program expanded in Idaho before we were able to get that done. Because now it was a ballot, it was a referendum in Boise, but it just shows uh, the lack of support for the will of the people. And this is something uh, folks all over the place are experiencing. But one of the most amazing things I got to do is just eat my way across the state. Now, if, if, if you see my Instagram, I just I like to eat food a lot. I like to try out new things. And there is no shortage of things to try out. Uh, across the state, but I also learned, you know, a lot about myself. You know, I learned, uh, you know, what was really important and why I was actually in the race. And at the end of it, although it didn't go my way, I still feel good about the fact uh, that I got into it. And even with the result that I got, as disappointing as it was, if the chance to do it all over again in that same situation, the same scenario, I would have, I would have said yes, just because it was, you know, that incredible of a time, not just for me, you know, personally, but having a moment to offer something different uh, to the state, something we haven't, you know, had in, in, in quite some time. And, you know, uh, things don't always go our way, but it's about the effort that we put in and the, the 1.3 million friends I made along the way. <laughs> you touched on it there. You know, you always said the race wasn't about you. It was a little bit about you. I wonder, maybe expand a little bit. What, what did you learn about yourself on the campaign trail? Obviously, it's very time consuming. It's very tiring. I think your bus tour included 80-some stops. What, what did you learn about yourself throughout the whole process? It was an RV tour. We were spending our money wisely. It wasn't a bus. Um, but I can tell you, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I still do believe that, you know, it wasn't about me. But my name is on the ballot. It's, you know, my name being said on the commercials, whether it's the good ones or the bad ones. And given the commercials that generate a lot of questions where you're in the public, right, you learn resilience. <laughs> you learn a lot of patience. Given the amount of stops that we made, like the schedule was just jam packed. 
Um, we wanted to do as much as we possibly could. You know, Wisconsin, we have a very late primary. We had 90 days to get it done. So that meant that, you know, we were just in hyperdrive. We were in overdrive, uh, you know, until the primary, hyperdrive uh, post-primary. So with that being said, I learned my limits. I am also not sure that I could have lasted another week on the campaign trail. Uh, it was just that taxing. It was incredibly uh, difficult, but those times when I got tired, uh, yeah, whether it was you know in the car or on the RV, uh, when I got a little drowsy, when I stepped off of the RV, when I stepped out of the car, seeing the people who showed up, it just gave me uh, a brand new energy. It gave me a whole new sense of hope for the state. Uh, the folks who brought their little children out to the campaign rallies, right? These kids don't know that much, or so I thought, you know, then they just start rattling off stuff. And, you know, that was very inspiring to me. It was very invigorating. So just learning, you know, what this was actually all about in the end, which is absolutely the future of our state. It's about making things better than they were, better than they are, uh, making it possible for things to be better than they've ever been before. I learned that we all have a small role to play. Uh, some people go out with their names on the ballot, some people help get folks elected, right? Like there's something for us all to do, but it's important that we all step up and make that happen. Yeah, I wonder, and I'm curious about this, you know, Governor Tony Evers was reelected last November and he won about 48,000 more votes than you did. What do you think was responsible for, for the, that discrepancy? Why was he able to win, you know, those almost 50,000 more votes than you would? Especially that, you know, that was the margin, right? 27,000 votes, one point, that, that would have got you across the finish line. No, absolutely. If you think I don't think about that often, then, you know, there is a lot of frustration that comes along with that. Uh, but I'm still very proud of the race that we won. One thing that did happen in my race is we face an unprecedented amount of negative spending. You know, they spent about $77 million, and I can say about $7 million of that was to prop up Ron Johnson. Another seventy million was to try to tear me down, was to try to tear the campaign down. So that was one of the big differences uh, in the two races, and that spending came at a critical time. You know, it was the Republican super PACs, it was Ron Johnson's billionaire allies. They showed up in a real way. We got outspent $26 million in outside spending. That was uh, another difference between uh, my race and the governor's race as well. I think it was actually the inverse for the governor's race. So, you know, money in politics, big issue that I know a lot of people in this room have been fighting for a long time. And it shows just uh, what the real impact of money in politics can be. It's like the numbers almost line up too seamlessly, right? You got the 26,000 or so votes, $26 million out spent. There's about a close to a $50 million gap in spending between, you know, my race and the governor's race and about almost 50,000 votes. It almost lines up too perfectly. But what it says is, you know, Republicans are willing to spend, you know, whatever it takes to uh, defend people who do not care about our democracy, don't care about the future of this state, don't care about our rights, whether it's voter rights, uh, reproductive justice, racial justice, like all these things that, you know, are important to any civil society, to any state that wants to actually move forward, any state that actually wants to grow and attract and retain talent. That's another thing that the race was about, you know, beyond me. It was about what is Wisconsin going to look like in the next 10 years, in the next 25 years, in the next 50 years? And you know, our visions were, were, were much different. And uh, the vision that I was fighting for is a vision that I'm going to continue to fight for. You have been on the Wedge Issues podcast before. Uh, you made your first appearance back in 2018 when you were running for lieutenant governor. At the time, you said that President Barack Obama was your political idol. Maybe a highlight for you of the campaign cycle was getting to campaign with him in Milwaukee. What, what was that experience like? Oh, it was an, an amazing experience. 
they say, you know, <laughs> never meet your heroes, but uh, there's no way you could have stopped me from <laughs> doing that, right? But it was everything I thought it would be. Like, he was just, it, it, from 2004, when I first saw him at, at the DNC, like, you know, on TV, it was the same exact feeling in person. And the speech that he gave uh, in Milwaukee, you know, last October, he was in rare form. I had never really seen him speak that way. Um, you know, he really, like, laid into it. Like, he was very passionate uh, about his speech, about the things that he was saying. He made the point much more clear than I had seen him on the campaign trail uh, before in any other states, uh, the clips that I caught. So to be in that moment, to share the stage, certainly something I'll never forget, but I, probably more important than that was the call after the election that he gave me. Mm -hmm. You know, that was certainly something that, I mean, of course I won't forget that, but probably had an even more significant impact on me. What did you guys talk about after the campaign? Yeah, I mean, we just talked about, you know, the race and you, know, you talked about having lost before. He talked about all sorts of things, right? It was like, it was very fatherly advice, <laughs> you know? Very, very fatherly advice. I'll just put it that way. Sure. I mean, I was there that day at North Division High School. He wasn't fine form, right? But I think one of the defining quotes of the midterm election, he gives that quote about your grandparents have cracked hands, they've got bad backs, they've got sore knees for Social Security, which of course came after Senator Johnson had made comments about making Social Security and Medicare discretionary spending. One thing that jumps out at me, in the months since the campaign ended, you're still a busy guy. Still busy. <laughs> you like to keep busy, it seems. I want to talk about the long run, which is your political action committee that you launched to help elect, you know, young, diverse candidates running for, for office across the country. How did your own experience from 2022 inform your decision to launch the PAC? I can't help but think of, you know, the spending gap from national groups, like you said, maybe was the difference in the election. How do you see the long run factoring into other races around the country? What made you want to do this? Well, you mentioned staying busy after the election. And again, it'll go back to the whole thing about it and not being about me, right? Like, it could have been very easy and probably less stressful to just walk away and figure out something else in life. But, you know, what would the whole campaign have been for, right? What would that whole year and a half of me talking about these things that were, you know, important to me, important to the state, uh, my time as lieutenant governor, my time in the state assembly, like what would it have all meant for me to just check out, right? I was busy then. There's no reason I should not be busy just because I didn't win a race. Like there's still so much more work to be done. There's still so much for us to do. The things I talked about, given the fact that we didn't get the outcome that we want, probably means that we're a little bit farther away than we thought we'd be at this point. So it was important to stay engaged because for any number of reasons, we can talk about the little kids that showed up to campaign rallies, right? Little, little kids that I still see, I still do school visits. And, you know, it's too much to turn away from because, you know, they need people who are going to stand up and fight for them until uh, they can do it on their own and they'll be fighting for some other people. And hopefully there can be some inspiration there for them to stay involved uh, or to get involved and to stay engaged. And the long run, you know, sort of passion project for me, you know, I was counted out early, right? Even in the primary, like even when the numbers showed my strength as a candidate in the primary, there were still a lot of people who doubted. A lot of people who said, oh, yeah, but, you know, can he do it? Can you know, is he going to be able to overcome the spending it, it, primary or general? And just so many other factors, right? Like so many things, so many doubts. But with that being said, there are a lot of other candidates in similar situations across the country who get counted out right away for whatever reason. I'll let you determine what those reasons uh, could be. We want to be able to help them. We want to be able to bring attention to those races. One of the commercials against me, it just ended saying, you know, Mandela Barnes, different. And that's one of the things that 
you know, I used in the very first debate when they asked if there's anything that we want to clear up. And I said, well, no, I want to lean into this and I want to embrace it because the reality is candidates who are oftentimes seen as different are the candidates they go on to make the biggest difference. And there are people like that, again, all over the place. And we want to be able to help them out in their long run to to you know, provide some financial support where we can, to be able to provide some guidance some mentorship because we just got to change the way uh, things are done, right? We got to change the people who are in, in, in positions and we got to bring more candidates into the fold who actually exhibit the reality of this country. Just last week, the PAC revealed its first seven endorsements, yeah. including a close ally of yours, Senator Tammy Baldwin. I'm sure folks in the crowd are familiar with her. <laughs> are these endorsements meant to serve as a marker for the kind of candidate that you want to support? And what was it about these seven folks that, that jump out at you, right? You know, of course, we have Senator Baldwin. Uh, we have a couple incumbents. But there are some folks that aren't incumbents. They're not office holders that are in the mix. What stood out about this bunch for you to make these to be the first ones for this organization? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I won't say that there is an ideological test that candidates have to go through for the endorsement. It's just the candidates who are, who are bringing something, you know, different to the table, who have a chance to uh, save our democracy, either taking out a terrible incumbent or filling an open seat with a fresh perspective. It is important, you know, ever so important that we reelect uh, Senator Baldwin. Uh, but we also have candidates like Colin Allred in Texas, who's running against Ted Cruz. We have uh, Ruben Gallego, who's primary in Kirsten Cinema. We have Josh Riley. We have Sarah Clee Hood in New York. We have uh, Yadira Caraveo. And, you know, these are candidates who have a lived experience that isn't as present in the United States Congress as we would like. I said in my race that the experience of majority of senators is not the experience of majority of Americans. The U.S. House is certainly closer to that, but it's still a ways off. And until you know, we have the representatives who've actually lived those experiences, we're not going to have the perspective needed to actually change people's reality to improve quality of life. So we want the working class people, the single mothers, the, you know, the LGBTQ candidates, especially at this unprecedented time of attacks all across the country. We want to have younger candidates in the mix. You know, I, I think about some of the <laughs> some of the hearings that you see on Capitol Hill about like social media and you know, is there, everybody didn't, yeah, I, I'm behind the ball. What so, is I don't Instagram? Even, what, what is, what is, yeah, a finster, right? Like my thing is, I don't even like being on TikTok, right? Like, I, <laughs> but to that point, you know, this is the reality. I had a conversation with somebody about AI and it's like today and we were just like, yeah, you know, I guess I'll try this thing out. And it's like, <laughs> this reality is coming to us, you know, regardless if we want it to or not. And it's best that we get a grasp on it. And it's also best that we have people who have a, a, a real understanding of these issues who are going to be in positions to, to make those decisions, right? Not saying that everybody in Congress needs to be some social media wizard. That's not the case. But we certainly need very perspectives and very professions. We need healthcare professionals. We need scientists. We need educators. We need all these people in order to truly answer the call. Otherwise, if we have the same old, you know, ultra wealthy, out of touch people serving in Congress, then those will be the only interests that are ever considered. In April, you were named president of Power to the Polls, Wisconsin. What is Power to the Polls and what have you been working on since since you got started? Yeah, so Power to the Polls, a black-led civic engagement organization uh, based in Milwaukee. It was an organization that started the 2022 cycle, the November election, 
like I said, primarily Milwaukee. It was an opportunity to truly grow the organization. I was approached and asked that I want to be a part of it. I said, of course, because we need to address these issues of turnout. And the reality is you don't solve the turnout problem just by knocking on doors alone. You solve the turnout problem by sustained engagement. And we had an opportunity to truly build an organization that is going to meet people where they are, uh, have those conversations when nobody's on the ballot, to you know bring people into the process so that they don't see politics or see government as some abstract thing. I want ultimately people to see themselves as a part of it uh, as much so as possible. And people don't feel empowered because they don't feel that they're being listened to. And people don't feel like they're being listened to because quite frankly, many of them aren't. And we want to shift that paradigm. We want to change that. We want to, we want to get people engaged on any number of, of topics that may come up. And I'll tell you this last election, the spring election, we expanded from Milwaukee to Milwaukee, Racine and Green Bay. We were able to help support uh, the mayor of Racine, the mayor of Green Bay in both of their reelections. We were able to knock on just under 90,000 total doors, just talking to people all over and help uh, you know, boost turnout for now Justice-elect Janet Protasiewicz. And I'm proud of that work, but I can tell you now that that's just the beginning. Yeah. Something else that is an issue that you've worked on for many years is uh, you're a climate advocate. You want to fight climate change. You've written guest columns for the Cap Times about the need uh, for lawmakers to address climate change. How did you become a climate advocate? So if the election wasn't about me, this is certainly about me. Hopefully I got a lot of years left. So um, knowing that climate change is the issue of, you know, of my generation, certainly the next, like what kind of planet do we want to, do we want to live in, right? We can fight for every other issue. We can fight to eradicate poverty. We can fight to make sure people have health care. We can fight for good paying jobs, but if we don't have a planet to have all these things on, then what's it all for? And knowing that there is also a very real, you know, economic benefit for, the, if, if that's what entices people to get involved in this, there's a very real benefit for us as a country to address climate change, right? Not, not addressing climate change is gonna you know, impact our economy adversely, it already is, right? Whether it's our crops, whether it is just quality of life, whether it's, you know, habitability of certain communities, right? These are things that we have to, to not just talk about, we gotta do something about. And knowing that, you know, where I live now, fortunately, here in Wisconsin, we're in what Senator Johnson would call a great place, you know, for climate change. Said it would be a good thing for Wisconsin, but it, 300 million people can't live in Wisconsin. It's a reality that's, that's, that's ignored by far too many people because, again, we can go back to the money and politics issue. There's too much money to be made off fossil fuels. There's too much money that goes into politics as a result of it. But knowing that we have really one shot to get this right is something that attracted me to it, knowing that Wisconsin has also just been such a leader. And with these historic investments, with the Infrastructure Jobs Act, uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, these are prime opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunities for us. Like this is the most significant investment in addressing climate change. And I want Wisconsin to once again be on the forefront. We absolutely can. I am looking forward to being a part of some of that work as well, uh, making sure that households actually know what's in these pieces of legislation, knowing what their benefit can be, whether it's solar panels, whether it's insulation, heat pumps, getting new appliances. Uh, sadly, not enough people know. We don't always uh, take the victory lap like we should. 
when we get uh, when we get things passed and we get things done. But that's an opportunity for organizing. And you know, whether it's the long run or being at power to the polls, I'm back to my roots in organizing. These are issues, challenges that are solvable, and it's up to us to make sure we do that. But climate change is something that has to be solved. You know, one day I do want to have kids, and you know, I just think about how frightening of a thought that is if we don't get this under control. Like it's already out of control, right? But if we don't have people who are serious about it, it's just one of the most selfish things that uh, as a human race we can do, just letting it all just go to hell. Yeah. When you were lieutenant governor, you served as, as chair of the governor's task force on climate change. You know, the governor has implemented several of the recommendations that the task force made, and it was well over 100 recommendations, you know, but the Republican controlled legislature. Oh, 55 recommendations. Is it 55? Oh, it's 55. Oh, well, there's subsections you, you to the recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> the governor has taken steps to try to combat climate change. The Republican controlled legislature has been resistant to that. I'm curious, how would you assess where Wisconsin is in its fight against climate change. Yeah, and I'll say the governor did two of the most impactful things. One, we created the Office of Sustainability and Clean Energy. Two, we got the Clean Power Plan. So we are on track. The things that we can do absent of the legislature. And again, right, like this is the most frustrating part about it. Being in the state where the people want us to do the right thing, being in the state where we have an opportunity to do the right thing, uh, the university system has been at the forefront of a lot of this work as well. And we have a lot of our business leaders as well. Like, the, you know, a lot of these companies and corporations had clean energy goals before the state had them, before we took office. So the will is actually there. It's just the gerrymandered legislature that continues to uh, drag their feet. And hopefully we get some new maps and all that changes. But with that, I do, you know, wish there were more people uh, you know, outside of this room, I, I wish there were more people in, you know, different parts of the state that were reaching out and demanding more from their legislators, especially more rural communities, because our farmers are seeing devastating impacts. I was just talking to somebody in Bayfield today. She's not a farmer, but she's just talking about the drought. And, you know, this is going to have a tremendous impact on uh, people's economic opportunity. It's going to have an impact on food systems, going to have an impact on prices in the long run as well. And I'm not going to say that passing all the recommendations of the task force was going to stop the drought this year, but it can certainly help us prevent them in the future or at least make our communities more resilient and uh, put them in the best position uh, to be able to deal with these devastating impacts of climate change. So, um, you know, want to you know, thank the governor for, you know, getting to work on those recommendations and want to put more pressure on the legislature to actually do something because that's how we can truly, truly, truly address climate change in Wisconsin and not just be one of a handful of states that does nothing. We're surrounded by states like, you know, Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois, all these states are way ahead of us. Even Iowa, right? Iowa gets like 60%, at least 60% of their energy from wind and we're still like 60% coal. And Iowa has a Republican governor. Iowa has a Republican-controlled legislature. It's the same way with even marijuana legalization. Minnesota, Illinois, and Michigan. Like, if Iowa does this before us, then I, just, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I want to, you know, round out the first part of our discussion with this. I think many people, in, including uh, probably some folks here tonight, would like to see you run for office again. You know, have you considered what challenge you, you'd like to tackle next? And, uh, you know, when will we see your name on a ballot again? <laughs> the door is open. I'll put it that way. I'll, I'll start by saying the door is open. I have no plans at this point. I am excited to be back in the organizing world, 
there's plenty of work to be done there in that space to make sure that we are engaging people, turning out voters. You know, I don't feel that my name has to be on a ballot to make a difference. There's still a lot of work, you know, to be done. If something comes up that makes sense, we'll certainly give it real consideration. Uh, like I said, it's not a no. It's not a no at all. But I'm also not just going to rush and just run for something, you know, just for the sake of running, just to have, you know, my name on the ballot. I want to, you know, get to work while I can and solve the problems in the position that I'm in, or at least help to. I'm talking with Mandela Barnes. More to come. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe, Madison's bookstore for night owls, serving craft cocktails, locally roasted coffee, and desserts every day from morning till midnight. More information at leopoldsmadison.com. Okay, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready for the lightning round. All right. You've been on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. In 2018, when you were running for lieutenant governor, you said that Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, was your favorite Wisconsin beer. You described it as a beer for any season, any moment, any occasion. Is that still true? And is there anything to add to the list? So the thing is, it's a go-to beer, a high life. Like, it doesn't matter. Are you watch, are you watching sports or you're just hanging out? Like, it's, it's, it is a quality beer. Barbecues, weddings, everything. I want to fancy it up a bit. I do a River West time, but like, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously this is something different as well, but you know, this is, uh, let me put my pinky up. Um, <laughs> this is, this is the Cap Times. Um, but I am still down for high life when and wherever. Yeah. I, me too. Yeah. My brother and I love Miller High Life. Our father, who's here tonight, is something of a beer connoisseur, and he does not love Miller High Life, and this has created some tension. <laughs> what is your favorite knickknack or family heirloom or tchotchke that you own? Family heirloom. Uh, I used to have, I, gotta, I hate to say it, I used to have. I'm like, I've been looking for this thing for years. Like, <laughs> like it was my granddad's like, steelworker's car. Oh, cool. I know, and I'm still trying to find it. Yeah. Maybe this will like be the motivation to actually find it. Remind us, he walked into the auto plant and 30 years later he walked out, right? So that was my dad. My granddad was, he was longer than 30 years. Oh, certainly longer yeah. than 30 years. Yeah, my granddad was, yeah, still worker at A.O. Smith, a little bit longer. That was after World War II. So I got to find that. Obviously, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in the bike, a lot of time running, in the car. Uh, what song or artist are you listening to right now? I am listening, t- I've been listening to this Q album so much. Like, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's got like this real 80s vibe. It could be R&B, but it's like, it's like this 80s vibe. It's almost, almost alternative. I've been listening to that album so much. Q Soul Presents. You'll like it if you listen to it. It's, it's a, it's real vibey as the, as the youth say. <laughs> Let's say you've had a long day at work. You come home. You know, what's, what's the comfort food that you crave? What do you want to eat? I like, I snack so much. Like, I have so many peanut butter filled pretzels, like the big, huge tub. So, peanut butter filled pretzels is like, and sometimes I'll come home hungry. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna cook something. And I'll put my hand in the jar and I never end up cooking because I've eaten too many peanut butter filled pretzels. What is the most used app on your phone? Most used? I mean, I don't know. Gmail doesn't count. So, you use that on a computer. Maybe, maybe Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to say it. But it's Instagram. It's probably Twitter for me, so I, I see where you're coming from. So that's the funny thing. I'm I, like, I, I'm so Twitter averse these days. But yeah, Instagram, and I, and I say that too because I'm also Facebook averse. 
And like, I like, we were like, ah, I'm off Facebook, <laughs> but you use Instagram. <laughs> no, I get it. Look, if I could hand my Twitter account over to some staff and then never have to get it back, <laughs> I would be grateful to do that. <laughs> what was your favorite TV show as a kid? Uh, Fresh Prince. Yeah. No hesitation at all on mm-hmm. that. What is your go-to karaoke song? Go-to karaoke song. I am really a just when they use books, <laughs> just go through the books and, and just pick a, just put my finger on something, whatever feels good. Nothing speaks to you, and like you get, you get in there, you're like, oh, I got to do my song. I don't have a song. No, I don't. I like, I, I'll flip through and I'll be right away. I'm going with this one. Okay. I respect that. I respect that. Duets are better. Okay. Duets are more fun. Okay. Best um, duet you've ever done. Probably on my own. Oh. Yeah. Who was singing this with you? That's the, come on now. This is about me. <laughs> what is your favorite sandwich? Favorite? Come on now. <laughs> I, this is, this, I, I really do like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> that is not a joke. What would have made that commercial more real is one, <laughs> I wouldn't have used white bread. Two, <laughs> there's this thing I do where I will use three pieces of bread. Okay. Is, there, is this some sort of like peanut butter and jelly Big Mac? It's, yes, actually. <laughs> but like you make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you put the toasted piece of bread in the middle. It adds this little crunch. It's a lot of bread. It's <laughs> a lot of bread, <laughs> but it's, it's Carbon good. Carbon up. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Those triathlons. Yeah. Have you ever asked someone for their autograph and who was it? Yes. I was a big wrestling fan growing up. I, I think I remember meeting <laughs> Mankind. Um, um, I'm pretty sure I asked for his autograph. Okay. And then we'll round out the lightning round on this one. In 2018, you said that your favorite Wisconsin cheese was just a classic Colby Jack. So I really like Colby Jack and like omelets. But if I'm like just snacking, like with crackers or something, like nice little five-year aged cheddars, that's what, I, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Do you have a favorite creamery? And you spend a lot of time on the road. You've been to a lot of dairy farms. See, now if I if I say that, this is gonna cause a little stir up. <laughs> well, a little dust some up. people some people come on and say that if you're a true Wisconsinite, you can't just have a favorite type of cheese. You gotta have a favorite creamery. Oh, I have ones that I like. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Got a lot of friends in industry. <laughs> Mandela Barnes, thank you very much for joining Wedges. Hey, no, this is great. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. The show is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe and edited by Haley Bowers. Our intro music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll have new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. And if you haven't already, sign up for Wedge Issues, the newsletter at captimes.com forward slash newsletters. I'm Jack Kelly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>